I am excited about this passage of scripture today. I'm calling this sermon From Grace to Greatness, and it's the story of Rahab the prostitute in the book of Joshua. We're going through the book of Joshua right now in a series that I uh, have titled Unstoppable, the Power of Faith and Obedience. You know, if you have faith without obedience, it won't work in the long haul with God because it'll crash and burn somewhere uh, because of impurity or trouble that will spring up. But if you have obedience without faith, you don't really have all the power behind it to get going where you need to go. In this book, we see that the children of Israel are going into the promised land. They, they're being faithful and they're being obedient and the Lord is delivering them. And today, the story of Rahab. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from that town, which I'm not going to say. Uh, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, Rahab, and they stayed there. He's about to greatly use a woman of ill repute. God is going to use her life. Have you ever met a person who you thought was perhaps the least likely person you know to become a follower of Jesus Christ? We accidentally get our own list going. That person, stay away from them, never. I think I was considered one of those people at one time in my life, at least by some. I was a student at George Fox, and I'd been in trouble a little bit there. That's a Christian university, for those of you who don't know, not far from here. And uh, I went to another college in the second year that was also a Christian school, and I got suspended from a Christian college because of my behavior. And uh, actually, they disciplined me and sent me away, and it, it was a great process in my life. I still believe in church discipline. The Bible talks about it because it helps people when it's done correctly. And it was a process that helped change my life, so much so that I went back to George Fox to become a Christian ministries major. After I had this trouble, I rededicated my heart to the Lord, went went back, and because I was was, uh, pretty much a rebel that first year at Fox, when I came back, I remember talking to a fellow, and he said to me, is it true that you're going to become a pastor? I said, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm on that track. And he said, wow, there is a God. And, and, you know, the grace of God covers every life, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the grace of God is about to sweep a woman in and use her greatly in this passage, too. Let's pray before I begin, begin these three points. Father, Lord, come and show us your greatness. Move among us, Lord. Speak to ears this morning beyond what I say. Lord, take the power of your word to a heart and take the whispers of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to a life this morning to speak specifically to each individual. Lord, speak what you want them to hear, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three points this morning about what I've called from grace to greatness, the story of Rahab. The first is this, God offers his grace to everyone. Now, this is a very fundamental sermon. These are the fundamentals. But I think these are the things we have to concentrate on or we lose track of what's really important. In sports, you have to always be involved with knowing the fundamentals, keep those down, and if if you let those fade away, then the performance isn't nearly as good. And in life, if you don't remember that the grace of God is offered to everyone, you can easily forget it. You'd say, no, I can't, but let's, uh, here's how you can forget it. Let me just tell you. You can um, forget that you we're forgiven so much. And you can be in church for so long doing so much good that pretty soon 
you feel like, well, people are going to have to deserve it if they get where I get. And, 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 and the Lord doesn't like that, and we don't want to feel that way, but the enemy will tempt us to forget that it's his grace that has brought us to the place that we're at and forgiven us, and he offers it to everyone. Here it is in Joshua 2.2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who'd taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she'd taken them up to the roof, and on the roof there, uh, she had hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out. Verse 7. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Why would God send his two spies to a prostitute's house? Why would he choose this way? Well, there's some logical things in here. First of all, uh, the cover was good if you're a stranger in Jericho going to a prostitute's house because that's where lots of strangers who visited the city went and you wouldn't be quite as suspicious. Secondly, you'll find out later, we will, that it was on the city wall. Her house had a window on the wall so she could let them down easily for escape. So that was logical. But here's the real reason. Here's the big reason. God knew that this lady's heart was toward him now. She'd had a change of heart and as a result, he decided that he was gonna use her life in these moments. Look at Joshua 2. Remember, they're all, it's a pagan culture. Nobody knows or loves God in this city. Jericho, it speaks of the king there. It was one of the, in those days, they had cities that were actually kingdoms. And that's why, you know, one, one big city was a kingdom. Now they have a king and they, they had their own little national kind of field there with everything they did. Nobody was in charge of them but themselves. They didn't know God. But listen what happens in this lady's heart. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. So they've been winning these battles that the Lord was giving them victory in and everybody was hearing. Pick it up again. These are people whom you completely destroy. And when he heard of it, when we heard of it, rather, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now listen to the statement of faith that she says personally. This is why God decided to use her in this setting. She says, for the Lord your God is God of heaven above and on the earth below. She had come to a place where she believed that this was the God. Everybody talks about gods in all these cities. There's all these gods with the little G. But I believe she's saying this is the God with the big G. This is the, he's the real deal. He's the one true. And because of that, wherever she came to that understanding in her heart, she verbalizes it here. He decided, I'm going to use her life. Remember, you didn't accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life in those days because it's the Old Testament and it's the story of Jesus coming, the Messiah coming to forgive us of our sins. And the way you came to God was to put your faith and trust in him and then when you did, you sacrificed animals for the propitiation of sin or ransom, meaning this, that sin must be punished because God is holy 
And, and rather than punish people, God was letting the wrath he has against sin because it hurts, it wounds, it kills and destroys all of us. He, God doesn't like it. He's so altogether holy, he can't cohabitate. But he let the wrath against sin fall on an animal in those days. And so that's, so people would just confess and then they'd start to follow, follow God and they would sacrifice animals. And we'll read here in a minute how God changed that in the New Testament. But because she said, you're God in heaven and of all the earth below, God said, I'm not going to withhold my grace from her. She had a sinful past, but God said, I'm going I'm to accept her into the fa- my family and I'm going to bless her with grace even in spite of her sinful past. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, for God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. So now Jesus has come on the scene and grace is offered to all of us when we put our heart in Jesus' hands. I want to read this story to you. I've, I've read it here before, a couple of years ago, I believe. It was written by a person who attends this church but gave it to me anonymously. I do not know who it is. But it says this, Dear Pastor Stan, I'm going to read it again because it seems so appropriate for this sermon today. Dear Pastor Stan, she says, I felt the pull to write you a letter for quite some time. Many times I've been unable to put pen down on the paper. I have a tendency to want to appear perfect. Ha ha, what a joke that is. My adult life has been nothing short of disaster after disaster. I dropped out of Oregon State during my sophomore year and worked full time since I was 19 years old. I worked in retail and hospitality until I was 22 when I decided to audition to become an exotic dancer. I was hired and quit my full-time job as a reservations manager at a hotel where I was making twice the money in one hour that I could make in an eight-hour day. I spent 15 years dancing. And luckily, I never did drugs, but I drank, prostituted, and was suicidal 90% of the time. This is a story that is too long to tell here and now, but it's important for you to know that I'm one of the people you're talking about when you say it's a matter of life and death. I don't think a lot of people believe that, but I'm saying it's true more than anyone would ever imagine. Here's what she's talking about. Often when we're in prayer before the service over here with the staff, I'll say this. Not often, but at times, I should say. And I've said it out here before. Every time, this is what she's talking about. Every time we get together, it's a matter of life and death for someone. That's why this, uh, it's so important for me to pray before I stand in here. And it, it's a great burden to stand behind this pulpit to know that lives hang in the balance every time we meet. There's someone here today that's suicidal, and I don't say that prophetically. I say that with, if you look at the statistics, there's, there's several. And the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God needs to move or someone might hurt themselves or someone might walk away and never return to him. Lives hang in the balance. Families hang in the balance and and God is here to touch lives. And she says, some people don't believe that, but I'm here to tell you that it was true for my life. Pick the letter back up again. She says, I came to Horizon in 2009. My friend's parents attend and my desire to attend church surfaced in a conversation. She agreed to go with me, so I met her and her family. I was so nervous. 
By this time in my life, I was married with a one-year-old daughter. I continued to come. It was an easygoing atmosphere. I could easily get up, get my daughter dressed, throw on some clothes, bam, out the door to church. Nobody bothered me. I learned a lot from your sermons, and I cried a thousand tears. You let me know that God loved me no matter what. You gave me proof from the scripture. You shared knowledge in a way that I understood and felt comfortable about. I felt very convicted every Sunday, but I would learn so much that I'd keep coming back. Plus, you are hilarious, which is a matter of opinion that some don't have. I didn't, I didn't know a man or woman of God could be so normal, meaning for me, down to earth. I wouldn't raise my hand to come to Jesus, though, because I went back to working in the adult industry. I worked until I was six months pregnant with our second child. In January 2010, I finally raised my hand, and oh, what a feeling. And she explains that day. When my second daughter was one month old, I returned to church. We, me and my girls, had begun, had begun living at my parents. And my mom and dad came to church with me the first time back. You had an altar call. I'd never come up. I was too shy before. But with my parents' strength to help me, I came up, holding my tiny daughter on my shoulder. You talked about how we're not alone with our pain, that God is with us. I was baptized three months later in July with my two daughters watching right there on the lawn. Pastor Stan, I know you get quite a few letters, probably hundreds. I've heard you read some. The common thread is how you've relayed God's truth in a way that expresses the depth and the breadth of God's love and grace. And it's a little uncomfortable to me that she says so many nice things, and that's the part of the letter that I don't really want to read, but it's, it's together. But I'm comfortable with it because of the rest of this, because it's not, we know it's not just about me, right? It's God's love and grace. But listen to this. He said, she says, the depth and breadth of God's love, you, you expressed it. But then she says, you, the pastoral team, the elders, staff, volunteers, and church members have contributed to my life being saved, both physically and spiritually. Awkward Sunday showed me how important the light is lowered so one can feel a sense of privacy. The woman who opened the door for me many, many times with a smile when I was feeling harried. Having the card to scan to check my children quickly is wonderful. The coffee, the clean restrooms, the sermon notes and the flyers are things I love about Horizon. I love that it's fun. I love that the truth is told. I love that even being a large church, it really does feel like a family. The words thank you are not sufficient for all of the people and all of the things that have been done to lead me in the direction of Christ. I simply want you to know how deep my gratitude runs towards Horizon. I just hope that the parts I play in Horizon will, oh, 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 wait a minute. Are you picking up on that? Rahab was a person who said, God, I want you, and then suddenly she's in and he starts using her. This is a person who says, God, I want you, and guess what? She's in working now. Look at that. The parts I play at Horizon because God doesn't, God doesn't drive you away. He pulls you in close. She says, I hope it'll give someone else the environment they need to hear the truth, feel the grace and love of God, and see the amazing body of Christ that I did and still do see. Okay, so I've been here 21 years, going on 22 now as your senior pastor. In the early days when I showed up, I said, let's not worry about how people dress. Let's not worry about what colors in their hair or if they have tattoos or how many piercings they have. Let's just love people. We've been a church that was founded on reaching out so that people might be saved. Because when the Bible talks about building 
the kingdom of God that is primary. And that's what we're all doing. We're building the kingdom of God, right? That's, that's why you're here, if you didn't know, to build the kingdom of God along with Jesus Christ, our Savior, with your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, God, God's spirit working through you to love people, God's spirit working through you to love people when they walk through those doors. That's why we don't just think of just ourselves and our friends and walk by people that we don't know. We, we talk to them. We accept them right now because it gives them a sense that God would accept them too because his people should look like him, right? And so when we reach out in love and as we go forward, I just want you to know that I, I'm in for at least another decade. That's, that's the way I feel. And I'm telling you, I want us to be a soul-winning church. I believe God wants us to keep that at the very heart of what we do, that we reach out and love people so that they might know him. Revelation 22:17, the spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears this say come. Let whoever is thirsty come. God's grace is offered to everyone. Whoever wishes may come, who wishes may have the water of life as a free gift. And that segues us into another very fundamental point from this story. Faith in God brings the gift of salvation. So the grace of God is offered to everyone. But the grace of God that brings salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what you've done, you can't earn it. And you, you have to be careful not to make others earn it with a set of rules. It's a gift. Rahab protects the lives of the spies. Let's pick it up. We're going to read this whole chapter before the sermon's over. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window from the house she, for rather, the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills, the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men just said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and your family into your house, if anyone goes outside of your house into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet, scarlet cord in her window. So let's talk about the scarlet cord for a moment. It very much has the same feel as the blood that was applied over the door uh, just before the exodus. Do you remember Egypt was also a wicked nation? They were oppressing the people of God, the Israelites, for hundreds of years. And uh, God was telling them to let his people go, and they wouldn't. So he started a series of plagues so that they would release them to show that his power was great and, 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 and that they needed to let the people go. One of the plagues near the end 
was, was the, the death angel would pass over and take the firstborn from every family. But God told the Israelites, if you put this blood over your door, the blood of the lamb, the blood of a sacrificed animal, goats and bulls, if you apply the blood over your door, the death angel will pass over and, you, and, and your families, your sons and daughters will be spared. And, and nowadays, um, we, we, you know, in those days, the way they came to God and the way the people of God followed was to, to, to sacrifice that animal uh, to, that animal was paying the price for the sins that they had committed, and they would do that annually. But in the New Testament, we find that God was all the time bringing his son into the world to become the spotless lamb. His blood would be shed once for all, so no more would anybody have to sacrifice animals. And think of this. Think of the awesome, the awesome love story that this is. God, the Father in heaven, poured the punishment for sin that we deserve upon Jesus Christ, his only son. Now, I'm telling you, if it comes down to my son or my daughter and you, I am not God. I'll just tell you that right now, and you would lose. But God is so altogether loving, and he cares about you so much that he let the wrath of sin, he's so altogether holy, he can't cohabitate with sin. He can't do it because it wounds, it hurts, it steals, it kills, it destroys. Think of murder and rape and incest and all these terrible sins that wound people. God will not cohabitate with that and he won't call it good. He's too just. So punishment has to fall for these sins and it fell on Jesus so it didn't have to fall on us. We're the ones who deserve that sin because we're the sinners. You say, I didn't do those kind of things, but the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the scarlet cord was a lot like the blood on the door. And today, because it was saying that this is the place that will be spared. Today, some people don't realize and don't want to speak it, but there really is a destruction and a punishment coming as well. And we need to have the blood of Jesus applied in our lives or we will meet that destruction. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that just goes with the culture to just say whatever might be popular in the moment. And today it's not too popular in churches to talk about hell. But it was very popular with Jesus. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. He actually spoke of it. There are more passages where he spoke of hell than where he spoke of heaven. He spoke of them together. So if one's real, then they're both real. So often people say, well, heaven's real, but hell's not. Well, why is he talking about them together then? Jesus thought they were real and Jesus spoke of it. And, and, and here's what needs to be known, that, that though God is loving and forgiving, the one thing you must do, what, what is the unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin, this is what I believe it is, is that you would never in your whole life bow your knee to Jesus Christ and take his grace. When your life is over, if you have not said to Jesus, I want you in my heart, I realize who's you, who you are, and he'll give you a witness, he's given you a witness now. If you've not done that, you cannot be forgiven of your sins. The blood must be applied over your life. The blood that was shed. But when you ask him to come in your heart, when you realize that he died for you, when you realize that God raised him on the third day to prove that he's the way, the truth, and the life, when you know, as the Bible says, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, and you give your heart to him, the Bible says that you are forgiven. And heaven can be your home. Here it is in Hebrews 9, 12. Christ entered the most holy place only once and for all time. He did not take with him the blood of goats and calves. He sacrificed his own blood and by it 
He set us free from sin forever. I've heard people say, yeah, don't talk about blood and death and destruction and all that stuff. It's so yucky. Listen, I didn't even sign up to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a preacher. But when I, when I said yes to God, I said, God, everything that's in there, I'll do my best to say it without fear or favor. If there's no hell, why do we call it saved? Why is it called salvation in the Bible if there's no punishment? He's saving us from the punishment of sin that we deserve. And when we accept Christ in our lives, all of our sins are forgiven and heaven can be our home. God wants us to know that it's a gift that comes and the gift is found in Jesus Christ. Pastor Armando is the pastor of Esperanza. It's a church that we help start. They meet on our Sagart campus. We have two campuses. This is 38 and a half acres. We have six on Sagart Street, downtown where our, where our elementary school and our junior high are there weekly. And on Sunday mornings right now, there's, a, there's another church meeting. It's a Hispanic church with Pastor Armando. Let me tell you about the grace of God in Pastor Armando's life. Armando grew up in Los Angeles where he had two parents that were so busy that they weren't able to pay attention to him. They worked two, uh, at least two jobs apiece, and they weren't around. So he started hanging out with the wrong crowd in Los Angeles, which can be a problem. And before long, he found himself in a gang, and his parents didn't even know it. And he had such a great leadership gift that in just a short time, he rose in power in the gang, and he became, this is Pastor Armando, who's right here in one of our sites. He became a gang leader of a, of, of a group of people in Los Angeles. And then one day he went to an Assembly of God church in that area. His life was messed up. He was broken inside. Nothing was working the way that he wanted to work. All the power that he had as a leader, all these things that he thought he wanted, he was unfulfilled. His relationship with his wife was falling apart. Not even sure they were married then, but they were together. And it was messed up. And in that service, they told him he could be forgiven. They told him that Christ could come into his life and, 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 and could clean him up and make him brand new and give him new life. And he bowed his knee to Jesus Christ. He gave up that gang. He started following God. He moved to Oregon where he met Pastor Brad at Woodhaven Church in, in Sherwood. And at Woodhaven Community, Brad took him under his wing and he discipled him. And Armando started get, getting training to become a pastor. He started going to George Fox to be in ministry training. He still attends some of the seminary classes there. And right now he's over there pastoring and speaking of the grace of God, sharing a testimony. You'd never know it. He's a righteous man who loves God. You know why? He's been forgiven. He's received the gift of salvation, and God is using his life. And I believe that hundreds and thousands of people will come to Jesus Christ because of Pastor Armando. Pray for the elders this week. We're going to be meeting to talk about Woodhaven Church, Esperanza, and Horizon all becoming one Horizon Community Church and then becoming multi-sites where we're all working together. We've kind of been working together for years anyway in these ways, but we're going to consider those things. So we want the wisdom of the Lord to meet us, and if you'd pray, that, that would be awesome. But Armando, God is using him incredibly, and I'm so, so happy to see the grace of God in his life. Ephesians 2.8 says this, and it's not only for Armando, it's for us to remember. For it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith and not, not, that not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Do you remember the parable in the Bible where Jesus says that there were workers and some of them worked all day long and 
but there were a few who came in right on the last hour. And in the last hour, they worked, uh, when, when they came to get paid, uh, the master, which is in this parable, it's really God, it's Jesus, the master paid them all the same. And some of the workers who'd been in forever said, hey, come on, man, give us our, give us our due. And Jesus said, what, what is this? And they're, they're saying, they came in at the end and you're giving them the same thing you give us? And the master said, Have, haven't I done and fulfilled everything I told you I would do for you? What is it to you if I want to give someone else the same thing? And I, I think this gift of God, I think this parable, we need to understand this, that maybe we've been here forever. Maybe, maybe you've been serving God forever and you're mature in God, but remember this, that he can put his grace on anyone, like Armando or anybody he wants, like on Rahab, like this young lady that I read the letter from earlier, and he can do whatever he wants with them right now. He doesn't need your permission. And, and if we're not careful, a holier than thou, or you pay your dues like I did, youngster, and all that stuff can come into play. Now, listen, I can do another sermon on maturity someday and, and holiness, and those are all true and good. I'm not denying those. I'm just saying God is God. And God gives his grace freely for salvation, but he gives his grace for anointing the way he wants to do it too. And I think we ought to always remember that he's the gift giver, and it's a gift, and it's not by works, verse nine, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He knew all along what he wanted Armando doing, and Armando finally surrendered, and awesome things are happening now. Every person here needs to know that if, you have, it, it, that if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, God will save you too. And just like Rahab, not only did she get saved, her whole family got saved. Your family will have their very best chance to know Jesus and to be blessed. You have that opportunity before you today if you don't know Jesus Christ. You receive him, he'll bless your life and give you eternal life. Third thought this morning. God uses ordinary people to do great things. Joshua 22, picking up the story again, the two spies are leaving now. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. When the two men started back, they went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All of the people are melting in fear because of us. So you'll hear it two weeks from now. I'll talk about Jericho and it's going down. And the catalyst that God used was a prostitute who had turned her heart towards him. They defeat the city of Jericho with the catalyst who is a woman of ill repute. God wants us to know he can use someone with a checkered past. He wants us to know that he can use greatly anybody. And you may think, well, you know, there's not great things that can happen in my life. I'm just normal. Well, listen, knowing you're, knowing you're ordinary and he's extraordinary would be a requirement for be, being used greatly. So you're on the right track if you just think you're ordinary. But if you think, I've just messed up, I'm not the right kind of person, consider this, these, these examples from the Bible that would show you God can use anyone. Noah was drunk, and God used him. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. 
Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and he was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. And if I'm making the rules, you are disqualified if you preach naked. You can't get in anymore. You're out. But evidently, God's not that way. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs and was weird. (laughs) Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when their Savior needed him the most. They weren't praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And my personal favorite, Lazarus, was dead. (laughs) God can use all of us. And he wants to. Rahab gets her life together. We see that in the Bible because the New Testament talks about her. In the book of Matthew... Uh, we see that she marries a good man named Salmon. And, and, and so, so she makes it out of this lifestyle. And then she has a son named Boaz. Anybody recognize that name from the Bible? Married Ruth. They became the father of this fellow named Obed, grandfather of Jesse, great-grandfather of David. Oh, my word, she's in the lineage of David. But it gets better than that. Because you know, many of you, that David's lineage is the lineage of Christ. There are four women, only four, a number of men, only four women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew. And Rahab the prostitute is one of them. Wow. You talk about a destiny. And to top it all off, she's declared in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of the faith. God didn't disqualify her. He used her. Verse 31 of Hebrews 11, by faith, because she believed in God and his power, Rahab the harlot did not die with all the others in her city when they refused to obey God, for she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. He used Rahab the prostitute. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. 